Welcome to another Innovation Forum podcast with me, Ian Welsh. Joining me once again on the podcast is Niels Bayard, who's the CEO of Satelligence. So welcome back to the podcast, Niels. Hi, Ian. Hi, everyone. Well, it's been a busy time for you guys at Satelligence. Why don't you give us an update as to what's happening? Remind everyone what Satelligence does and what's the news from you? Yeah, so for those who may not know us, Satelligence, we help agricultural commodity producers and financial institutions to measure and reduce environmental and carbon footprint and de-risk investments. We do that by monitoring the risk and the performance of production of raw materials. I'm talking about palm oil, soy, cocoa, coffee, using satellite data analytics, supply chain asset data, millions of farms, plantations, factory locations, and ownership, and I machine learning, basically putting all that together. Yeah, and as an answer to your question, what have we been up to? We've seen a very interesting year. I think if you look at compliance monitoring in palm oil, there has been a lot of activity as in previous years. We see that also kind of these lessons learned are now being implemented and adapted by other sectors. In cocoa, there has always been quite a lot of effort, but now also in rubber. I think that's very promising. We're going to talk a bit today about how you're seeing companies in commodity supply chains moving their obligations more towards a due diligence approach to their engagement. So taking what you you mentioned in terms of this kind of developments in different commodity supply chains, how are you seeing companies take on the challenges of having a due diligence approach to their supply chain engagement? First, I think that engagement is, we see it increase. It's not only the engagement between, for example, consumer good brands with their suppliers, with the traders and with the growers. But secondly, we see that it's also the financial institutions who might be investing in such consumer good brands who are stepping up their engagement game. That's creating an efficiency issue. What does engagement mean? Engagement means more emails, phone calls, letters, responses being written. So yeah, how to make that more efficient? It's something that we are working on 24 seven. So yes, that's interesting. You mentioned the fact that you're seeing financial institutions stepping up. Has that been just in the past year? I mean, what's been the kind of the change that you've seen? If we say like three years ago, that also happened, but not as much as it is happening now. It was case by case basis. If there was some issue reported in the media, then response followed. But I think that really in last year, Satellians has been working with more and more institutions as well, such as Robeco and Actiam and others in the PRI group, that we see that it becomes more proactive. That is the main lesson from last year, I think, from our perspective, which means powering organizations with information to do this engagement. Where is deforestation really happening and who is involved? What suppliers are involved? This is helped by the fact that more and more supply chain data is becoming available, thanks to many actors and especially the producers, the suppliers themselves. Traceability information has increased a lot. If you see the cocoa sector, for example, hundreds and thousands of farms are mapped. But there is also this issue of wrong open data. Not everything is available in public, and that is hampering the engagement process. So data has to be curated. And this is something that we've seen at Satelligence working together with all the companies and also some of the financial institutions. That is really a focus area to make sure that all the actors use accurate data, data that is not outdated. In some of the media and NGO reports, we've also seen some grievance cases that were actually recycled, that were kind of old grievance cases that have been solved in the past. So there's a lot of unclarity there that we are trying to fix. 
What is it that these companies that you're now working with, what is it they need to adopt a due diligence approach? What sort of data points are the key ones for them? I think it's very important to realize that verification of deforestation free production is far more complex than seeing just trees fall on a satellite image. That information is one ingredient and it has to be put in context of where farms are, where plantations are. How are those linked to mills or buying stations? What we call traceability to plantations, right? And TTP, traceability to mills and factories. That's also something that in some of the sectors, uh, a lot of work has already been done. It's by putting all of that together. That's the answer. So it's just complex and, and appreciating that it's complex is perhaps the difficult bit for many companies. We've talked a bit about financial institutions. What other shifts do you see in terms of the sorts of companies that are coming to you for help dealing with their supply chains? What we see as a major driver at the moment is, of course, a draft EU regulation, deforestation-free imports. And there we are a bit concerned with the current setup because in the proposal right now, it is proposed to be differentiating the due diligence requirements depending on the risk profile of a country. We have just discussed in previous minutes about the efforts that individual companies are doing. If we would move to this high-risk country profile approach, it will be doing more wrong than good. Different rules that might penalize actors in high-risk regions, and that's exactly what we don't want. We need companies to continue making operations in high-risk regions more sustainable, right? I think for the coming year, we already had quite a lot of requests from companies, prospective clients on how we can help them. We should move away from risk high-risk profile approach to more a company-centered approach. As with remote sensing and, and this contextual supply chain traceability data, we can keep a close eye on it. I don't think you, we need to have this high-risk country approach. Look in the high-risk areas and see which companies are doing the right thing. Otherwise, we might see the EU just be shifting the problem <laughs> from the high-risk areas to the low-risk areas, where not only the sustainable producers will relocate to low-risk areas, but the bad ones as well. Putting the low-risk forest at risk, it's something we don't want. So, How much of a risk then do you think is there in a split in commodity supply chains between those that are good for companies with strong commitments and leadership and those that are bad for companies with no commitments. It's a step on from what you were saying about the EU might just shift the problem, but is there a danger in this general split anyway? I think a danger we may see is that there is a split in the political world and the world of practice on the ground in tropical forest countries. That is a main danger. And that's why we think that we should promote and support companies and operators who are in the sustainability transition in those high-risk areas. Interesting to see how this will develop. You mentioned a little while ago just about the problems around accuracy of data. As you said, there's more and more data appearing, but are your concerns now that whilst there's more data appearing, the accuracy of that data is not improving? The tricky thing is more in the concession type of data, like in countries like Indonesia, palm oil, concession data. There is some public data, but that might be outdated. Which means that if deforestation is detected on old concession data, well, you'll get a very inefficient and frustrating engagement process, right? So we are working with the suppliers themselves to come up with the right information and with the government agencies. That is the critical part of it. One of the issues here is that many companies, not only in Palm, in specific countries, but also in, for example, soy and other areas, they don't want to publish their farm or plantation boundary areas 
because it's sensitive areas. In some, some cases, companies told me they would want to, but there are actually legal issues they would face if they would make it public. Secondly, there can be also issues of competitive nature where companies just don't want to know, let their competitors know what, what they're doing. And I've even heard of cases where larger landholders in some countries say that, look, I don't want the whole world to know where I am because I'm afraid of kidnapping or some other negative implications. Those are cases that some people will not realize immediately, but there are reasons why this issue of data sensitivity of source data might be a hurdle towards implementation. One-on-one -on -one relationships such as we have and keeping some data private while reporting on outcomes, that might be a solution you will have to work on. What would that look like in practice then? What are the sort of safeguards that you'd have to put in place to keep certain types of data private or outside of the public realm but at the same time, be able to have the transparency that companies want to demonstrate that they are dealing with the deforestation issues in their supply chains. Yeah, for us, it's very important to have the whole process audited and certified, which is also why we have certified our approach by Ernst Young. Also, the work of the likes of Control Union and others in this whole process, uh, we think that is, uh, it's vital to make sure that credibility is maintained and trustworthiness, while not always having to publish all the source data. And this is one area that we have been working actively uh, last year and that I will see a lot of more work also with respect to the EU regulation in the coming year. More general, generally then, what have been the big areas of change that you're seeing in the last year or two? And, and for you guys particularly, what were the new markets and geographies that you're opening up? We've seen quite some effort in the cocoa sector for cooperation on monitoring. We will see more activity there in 2022. The rubber sector is having a lot of new initiative on making sure that commitments are being kept, are made and kept, actually. Then we see a lot of demand for carbon information for Scope 3, but also for carbon removal programs, supporting smallholders in, for example, coffee and other perennial crops, planting more trees, carbon removal units as alternative income, additional income for farmers which at the same time is very good for biodiversity and the climate. So yeah, we've seen quite a lot of demand for support, both for the scope three part, as well as the carbon removal unit sales part. There's no doubt that the carbon market has expanded significantly. I mean, the figures saying you know, the size of the carbon market exploded in, in 2021 and looks like it's going to carry on growing. Is that, do you think, a key growth area for you guys? Because people want to demonstrate and prove carbon sequestration as part of a move towards using the carbon markets to A, help the world uh, decarbonize, but also then providing sources of income for smallholder farmers. Yes, definitely. And what will be most interesting is how can small initiatives scale across the globe? It's kind of the, the search for uh, credible information on increase. If we look at, for example, agroforestry, how to most accurately measure the increase year on year of the trees that are set in. That's kind of a challenging thing, a very exciting thing that we're working on. And I think that more and more local programs uh, will be developed. It has to, because at the moment there's more demand than there is supply. So exciting area. Indeed. And in fact, at Innovation Forum, we spoke just recently about agroforestry with Cargill and their cocoa supply chain, how they're developing agroforestry approach in, the, in cocoa. Um, really is a fascinating area. You mentioned rubber just now. How do you characterize the change in the approach of companies and rubber supply chains that what are they doing now that they weren't doing before what we see is that 
the sector as a whole has made quite some commitments, which is a great start. Some of the companies are now also engaging in local conservation projects, in monitoring of their operations, also using satellite information to make sure that they are not clearing high conservation value areas, forests. That is really something which I admire. And we hope to see many more of the companies embrace monitoring, get more insights into traceability. Where are all these uh, smallholder uh, producers? Yeah. It's a fascinating sector. And suddenly we're seeing more and more companies wanting to engage on rubber as well. For 2022 then, what else are you hoping to see? I hope to see more companies embrace supply chain monitoring, also in compliance with the EU pending regulations. And also to see more of the carbon scope tree monitoring materialized, as well as the monitoring of carbon removal units, helping smallholder farmers. Certainly exciting time. And it's a very fast moving area and loads of things happening. I hope we catch up again soon, Niels, to find out what you've been doing at Stelligence. But for now, thanks very much. Thank you.